This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, at the half hour, we'll be joined by Archie Andrews and listen in as he has to deal with being locked out. Well, we've all been there from one time or another, haven't we? The worst time for me was when I left my car keys on a little desk beside the door, walked out, closed the door, strolled in my car. Oh, no. My keys were inside the house, and, of course, my house keys on the same little key ring. Yeesh. How stupid can you be? Oh, I think I had to pry a basement window open to remedy the situation. But first, let's have a visit with Jack Webb, who so skillfully portrays Sergeant Joe Friday as we hear another episode of Dragnet. The program we're about to hear was first aired in 1953. Wheaties presents Dimension X. Adventures in Time and Space. Transcribed in future tense. Dimension X. On stage tonight, Dimension X. Another in the Wheaties' big parade of exciting half-hour presentations. Now, tonight's adventure into the unknown. Into the world of... Dimension X. Somewhere in Europe, a man is walking through the darkness down a cobblestone street. It's early evening still, only a little past eight. But the street is strangely deserted. He pauses, looks behind him, then knocks quietly on a door. Yes? Is Engineer Wensler in? Uh, what is it, please? Mrs. Wensler? Yes. I'm selling brushes. We have a nice line of brooms. They sweep well. Do they sweep the little or the large? Both. They're especially fine for the large. Come in. What cell are you in? I'm not with the underground. I'm an American. Newspaper correspondent. Oh. It's all right. Chief Nine said I should see your husband. He gave me the password. Look, you know the Americans are on your side. Well, I don't know. My husband is not home at the moment. If I... Eva, who is it? Someone to see Alan, father. Oh. My father-in-law knows nothing. Don't see anything which might disturb him. Okay. You wish to see my son, Mr... Uh, Arnold. Yes, a friend asked me to look him up. Uh, Mr. Arnold is an American correspondent, Father. Oh, an American. It is not often I have had the chance to talk to an American these days. Things have changed, haven't they? Yes. These last few years, we have been out of touch with the world. I was working in my laboratory, Mr. Arnold, 
Would you care to come in while you wait for my son? Father, not the laboratory. Oh, Eva, we cannot ask our guest to sit alone in the library. And besides, I, I would like to talk. Huh? <laughs> this way, please. Thank you. Mr. Arnold, I know nothing of politics. My only interest is science. Uh, come, I, I will show you what we are doing. A most interesting experiment. Really, very interesting. Uh, oh, oh, Dr. Winsler. Oh, this is Dr. Erickson, my associate. Dr. Erickson, Mr. Arnold. Uh, an American. Yes. Dr. Winsler, is it advisable to allow strangers in the laboratory? Oh, Mr. Arnold, it's my son's friend. Dr. Winsler, you will recall that the last directive... It has no bearing on the work we are doing. Our experiment is in the field of pure science. It has no military application. But the directive said... Dr. Uh, Erickson, may I remind you that I am still in charge of this laboratory? Very well. If you will excuse me, I want to test the new diatomic atmosphere. I will do that. Sorry, Dr. Winston. I'm afraid your friend Erickson doesn't like my looks. No, no, no. It's not that. It's, it's just that he's worried. He's worried for me. Afraid that someone will misinterpret your visit and report me to the authorities. He's my most loyal and trusted assistant. But he tends to exaggerate the danger. Well, I hope you're right, Doctor. Say, this is some setup you've got here. Huh? That uh, 10-foot plastic cylinder, what's that for? Every experiment must have a focal point, and that transparent cylinder is ours. Mm-hmm. The objects upon which we wish to work are placed inside and brought under the catalyzed beam over here. Eva! That's Alan now. Excuse me, I go and tell you. Uh, what is this experiment you're working on, Dr. Winston? Ah, a very interesting new problem. Eh? Uh, you say you are not a physicist or engineer, Mr. Arnold? No, I'm not, but I can follow you, if that's what you mean. Yes. Well, you have been working with the problem of subatomic particles. Now, in attempting to manipulate them, to bring them closer to each other, we have discovered that we can shrink objects, reduce them in size... Well, that's very interesting. How much can you reduce them? Half size? Oh, much more. You can make objects become microscopic and still retain their characteristics. Doesn't seem possible. You can make them even smaller. Much smaller. Theoretically, in fact, down to atomic dimensions. Well, as I said before, I'm no expert, Dr. Wensler, but tell me, what's the point? What good does it do to shrink anything down to that size? You do not understand. Man has never actually seen an atom. But if we can reduce a camera and recording instruments to the atom size, then we would know the secrets of the universe. Mm-hmm. Ah, there you are, Mr. Arnold. Oh, uh, oh uh, yeah. hello, Alan. Uh, you can't be interested in this. Why don't we go into the study and talk? Uh, but Mr. Arnold is interested. Uh, well, sir, maybe I'd better talk to Alan at that. Uh, excuse me, Dr. Mirza. Yes. I mean to ask you, if you think you can get along without me for a few minutes, there's something I must do. It's important. I uh, yes, yes, yes. As uh, so long as it will not take too much time. No, no, it won't fine. take me long. It has been a pleasure, Mr. Arnold. Uh, I shall see you soon, I hope. Yeah, sure. Okay, Alan, let's go talk. Your credentials seem to be in order, Mr. Arnold. I talked to our chief after Eva explained why you were here. 
I don't agree with him. Uh, Look, uh, Alan, you think the chief of your cell would have let me come here if he didn't think I was trustworthy and could help? I know, but... Public opinion can't be marshaled overnight, you know. Not even in America. Suppose the revolution is successful. It will be. All right, your only chance to make it stick will be in recognition by our government. And immediate help. Now, my stories can do a lot to lay the foundation for that. And with the date of the uprising so near... You know too much, Mr. Arnold, if this should leak to the secret police. Don't worry about it. It's my neck as much as yours. What do you think, Eva? Chief Nine said he was to be given the fullest cooperation. Very well, then. What do you want to know? Question one. What makes you think this revolution really has a chance? You can't fight tanks and guns with just your bare hands. Mr. Arnold, we believe the Wensler machine can solve our biggest problem. What's that? How to collect arms without being attacked by the secret police. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see. Now, suppose we could reduce all our equipment. Electronic guns, ray gas, anti-tank blaster. Anything which could be brought in unassembled. Reduce it to so small a size that a woman's handbag could hold enough to equip a regiment. You see what that would mean? Yeah, sure. No one would think of looking for a cannon. Precisely. But father's machine and the cylinder were necessary for the reduction. That's why our supply depot is right here. Here? Yes. When the day arrives, we'll enlarge the arms and pass them out. Yes, but where's the stuff now? Eva, please get me that... uh, Model from the men. Oh, of course. Here you are. Take a look at this, Mr. Arnold. Well, that's a... That's a model of an anti-tank blaster, complete to every detail. Not a model, Mr. Arnold. This is an anti-tank gun, reduced in the cylinder by the Wensler process. At the proper time, we shall enlarge it, wheel it out through the garage, and set it up. When the men assemble, we pass out the rest of the arms, and we have our revolution. A division of men, properly armed, can take the city. Uh, let's get back to the laboratory. Father will think it odd that we have been gone so long. Oh, I was wondering where you were, Alan. I don't know what's keeping Erickson. He should have been back long ago. I need some help on the circuit Of here. course, Father. What are you doing? Uh, Erickson and I have amplified the effect by putting another diatomic catalyzer into phase. I want to give a test run, Alan. If you will bring one of the animals from the cave. Yes, Father. Animals? Yes. We are experimenting now with the reduction of living animals, guinea pigs. How does it work? Those we diminish to microscopic size return unharmed. But those sent down to the atomic dimension... Yeah? The cylinder returns... But there's nothing inside. Nothing. So, Dr. Winslow, have you ever tried it on a human being? I have tried to persuade Father to send me down to find out what's making the animals vanish. No, Alan. But, Father, we've installed high-frequency radio communication now. If anything started to go wrong with me, I could tell you in time to reverse the process. No. I will never permit it. All right. Guinea pigs it is, then. But someday, Father, I... Yes, dear? What is it? That man, the one in the raincoat. He has been standing in that doorway across the street ever since I looked out the window. What of it? I don't like it, Alan. He has been standing there just looking at our house. Oh? Alan, do you think it is? I don't know. I'm not sure. Eva? Yes? You know what we planned in this eventuality? Yes. Get the arms and the provisions. We can't afford to take a chance. All right, Alan. Now, what is it, my son? What is it? Father. It's better for you not to know too much, but I'm a member of the underground. No. Eva, too. We have, well, we have some contraband hidden in the house. We'll have to put it in the cylinder. 
Contraband? What do you mean? Arms, father. Arms and provisions for an army reduced to one fortieth size. Arms? Yes, we must put them in the cylinder and warm up the machine. If it is the secret police, we'll make the arms invisible, microscopic in size. Can I help? If you wish, Mr. Arnold, you can help my wife get the supplies. Okay. Arnold! What is it, Ava? Two police cars are just around the corner. They're full of men. That changes matters. Father, you'll have to operate the machine yourself. Ava and I are getting into the cylinder. No, Helen, you can't. It's, it's too dangerous. It's the only way, Father. Those are the secret police. Ready? Ready. Set at point 034. Good. All right, Ava. Get in the cylinder. Alan, I can't let you take the chance, Alan. Isn't it enough to make the supplies disappear? Not for the secret police. They must know something, otherwise they wouldn't be here. But how could they prove anything? No, Father. Every man has his breaking point. And I can't afford to gamble with the lives of others. I don't know how I'd react on the torture. Torture? Oh, Father, you are naive, but don't worry, you'll be safe. Everyone knows you aren't interested in politics. <laughs> Mr. Arnold is an American. Perhaps that will protect him. They're coming now. Oh, my son, what have you done? There's no time for recriminations now, Father. I'm getting in with Ava. Arnold, will you help my father with the machine? And after? Yes, I'll do whatever I can. Thank you. Now, take us down to sub-microscopic size. Yes. Hold us down until the police have gone. Tell them we've left. They won't dare meddle with the machine. Tell them... Tell them it will mean death to anyone who gets in the way of the beam. When they're gone, bring us back up. I'll maintain radio silence until I hear from you. Very well, my son. There they are. The machine's warmed up. Move over, Ava. I'm coming in. Let, let me... Let me... I've switched on the radio. If you can hear me, secure the porthole, Arnold. Okay, we hear you. <laughs> porthole secure. Ready, Father? Yes, are the oxygen then tanks all right? Ava? Yes. They're breaking down the door. Atomic setting 034. Preliminary release. Temperature? 27 degrees centigrade. 760 millimeters pressure. Hurry, Father. Very well. No. Break on. Alpha 4, beta 16, gamma 0.12. Temperature 30 centigrade. Pressure 1100. Be careful. Holy mackerel, the cylinder's only three feet high. Open that door, Temperature 36, pressure 1800. It's getting too high. I can't do it. Stand by to reverse. No. The temperature pressure shows signs of stabilizing. Now 38 and 2000. Make setting at angstrom 5, 10 times to the third. That's a small. We can't afford to take chances. Only three inches high. It's all right, Father. Temperature and pressure beginning to drop. Thank God. A half inch high. Oh, they are coming. They are coming. Goodbye, Father. Oh, God bless you. Son. If anything happens, it isn't your fault. Remember, this is my doing. Ava, switch off. Stop! Don't come, come near the beam. No, this machine is in operation and can kill anyone coming within range. Shut off that machine. The machine cannot be shut off until it reaches Nader. A sudden reversal would cause an explosion and take us all with it. You there. Who are you? Who, me? Just a friend of the family. Arrest him. Now, get your hands off me. Let go of me. Now, 
Dr. Wensler, your son and his wife, where are they? Answer me, you old fool. They, they, they left a few minutes before you came. Left? Jan, I told you to watch all the exits. We did, Commander. Mouse could not have escaped. I swear it by the leader. They are not here. You. What do you know of this? I told you they left some time ago. Keep an eye on them. And keep away from that machine. Jan. Yes, sir. Send out a general alarm. Yes, Commander. Dr. Wensler, who are your son's friends? Please, please. Commander, let me finish my experiment. I I know nothing about my son's activities or his friends. I swear it. I know nothing about politics. So? I must stay here until this experiment is finished. It is too dangerous to be left unattended. Very well. Well, take the American to headquarters. The rest of you, search the house. Look here, I'm an American citizen. I demand... Erickson! And your father, Commander? Erickson. You have betrayed me. I am a member of the League of Loyal Scientists. Your oh. son is the traitor, not I. Have you found him, Commander? No. We have searched the house. Nothing. They swear the son and his wife escaped before we arrived. That is ridiculous. They were here when I left. People do not vanish into thin air. Then where are they? Right, right under your nose, Commander. What? They're in the cylinder, of course, under the beam there. That is the only place it would be. Allow me to handle the controls. You shall have your prisoners in five minutes. I see. Very clever, Dr. Wensler. Very clever. All right, Erickson. You take charge of the machine. You spy, you traitor. Don't let you... him touch that guy. Oh, grab him. You, 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 you. There. He has set it for subatomic dimension. What does that mean? Whatever is in that cylinder has become as small as the atom. Then shut it off. It has almost reached nadir. We must wait ten seconds, then reverse polarities. The machine has reached nadir. Angstrom ten to the minus eleven. We must now wait ten seconds. One, two, three, four, five. I don't know. Something must have gone wrong. Alan, Alan, look out there. Why? Why, it's the solar system. It's coming at us so fast. Look, the sun. Sun? No, that can't be. Eva, that's the nucleus of an atom. We've reached the subatomic dimension. That sun is the nucleus. And those planets are the electrons revolving about. That planet coming up at us. Yeah, on the other side of the sun. I mean, the nucleus is... An electron. It's growing in size. They're heading straight for it. They're coming down on it. They are going to land. Well, I guess we finally reached the nadir. We haven't shrunk for the past two or three hours. I don't know. Somewhere in a valley between the mountains of a huge electronic ring. It's almost funny resting on the surface of an electron. 
Look. Soil under the floor of the cylinder. Looks like vegetation. Yes. Moss. Like it. That's the last of the ale. I've been expecting it to go out for the past two days. We have perhaps a half hour more. David, dearest. I know. There is one chance. That vegetation. That means there must be some sort of atmosphere on this electronic planet. We have to take that chance. Eva, are you willing to step out of the cylinder with me? Of course, my dearest. For without our ghost, I will go. Thy people shall be my people. And thy God, my God. Without life, I will... <laughs> we haven't much time. Ready? Ready. All right. Open the portal. Seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, ten seconds. I shall now reverse polarity. I see something. The cylinder? Yes, here it is. Just a few seconds more and it will become normal size. A foot high. Keep that man quiet. Ah, it grows very rapidly. Yes. Three feet high. Four. Now. There you are, Commander. And in a moment, you will see your prisoners. Get the door open. Yes, sir. There is no door, my commander. No door? Erickson... But there must be. No, sir. Nothing but a gas valve. You are right. Nothing but violet gas. That's, that's impossible. Where are your son and his wife? We told you they left the house some time ago. That is a lie. Where are they? I... I do not know. Erickson, open that valve. But the gas be poisonous. You shall see. Open the valve. Very slightly. What is that? I... I don't know. I, I seem to hear music inside my head. So did I. Apparently the gas produces auditory hallucinations. Open the valve again. Careful. We, the people of peace, greet the great scientist, the omnipotent, the maker of all. I, I thought I had a voice. This so I. is the law of our people, laid down by our first father ten million years ago. But always and ever there be this record of our race. For it is told that thou, in the fruitfulness of time, shall take back unto thee this ark, like unto that cylinder in which the first father and mother of us all came unto us. I, I don't understand. I am the last of our race, and the sun is cold and desolation is upon the face of our planet. But in our time there was majesty and joy, and the gleaning of the fruits of the soil, for we have been the people of peace, and life was bountiful for generations. 
until that day came when in thy everlasting wisdom thou didst decree the end of all. Though there were some who wept, we did not query why. For we have been a happy race. We have followed the law of the first father, Alan, <sighs> and of the great mother, Ava. No. And we have builded this ark so that there may be a report of our deeds and of the fulfillment of the trust. Now I, Lamarian, the last of the billions who lived here, do lie me down into that last sleep, from which, if thou will, I shall awake unto the land which is thine. Hail, O great one, from the descendants of Alan and Ava, hail and farewell. Good Lord, what was that? In the Ava. Dr. Wensler, where are they? They are beyond your reach. What do you mean? Don't you understand? All time is relative. One year of our time is one revolution of the planet Earth about the sun. Somewhere down in the microcosmos, my son and his wife found themselves in, in an atomic universe. Uh, of course. And landed upon an electronic planet. That planet whirled around its sun, the nucleus of an atom, a million times in the space of a second, our second. Dr. Wesley, what are you trying to say? That voice we heard is the voice of a human being, the last member of a race whose blood is mine. For in the space of ten seconds of our time, Alan and Ava settled upon their microcosmic planet and bore sons and daughters in the great and peaceful race that lived and died beyond infinity. And my children, Alan and Ava, who founded that race, are dead and gone ten million years ago, ten seconds ago. Tonight, Dimension X has presented Beyond Infinity, an original radio drama written by Vierre Gerson. Featured in the cast were Les Damon as Arnold, Lada Stavitsky as Ava, E.A. Krumschmidt as Dr. Wensler, and Joe DeSantis as Alan Wensler. Your narrator was Norman Rose. Music by Albert Berman. Dimension X is produced by Van Woodward and directed by Edward King. In a moment, we'll tell you about next week's show. And now, here is your Wheaties man, Frank Martin. This is Ed Prentice batting for Frank Martin to bring you a word from a fellow most of you know. Lucius, would you step over here, please? You bet, Ed. Folks, I'm Lou Captain. I've been playing shortstop for the Chicago White Sox practically forever. Yes, it is practically forever. This makes your 20th season, Luke. You think it's going to be a permanent job? <laughs> well, you know, Ed, I play baseball like I eat Wheaties. Just get set and plow right through. Wheaties and baseball just seem to go together. The Wheaties give me the energy to play more baseball... And a tough game gives me the appetite to eat more Wheaties. I think it's a real nice arrangement. Well, Mr. Appling, if you're happy, so are we. Thanks a million to our real Wheaties champion, Luke Appling. And folks, if you haven't had the pleasure of Wheaties lately, have some tomorrow.
Wheaties, breakfast of champions, and eat happy. Next week, a strange story of other worlds. The story of the barbaric Potters of Thirst. Another adventure into the unknown world of tomorrow. The world of... Dimension X. And this is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin, inviting you to listen tomorrow night to Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers on the Wheaties Big Parade. See you then. Stay tuned for Archie Andrews next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Archie Andrews and the episode Locked Out. Truchet, the hand lotion with the beforehand extra, and Vitalis for well-groomed hair, bring you Duffy's Tavern, starring Archie himself, Ed Gardner. No man is well-dressed unless his hair is well-groomed. So take the tip. Try the way successful men in both sports and business keep their hair looking its very best. It's Vitalis and the 60-second workout. See how the Vitalis workout helps your hair, helps stimulate your scalp. See how it prevents dryness, routes loose dandruff, and helps check excessive falling hair. And see how Vitalis keeps your hair handsome and healthy-looking with never a trace of a greasy patent leather shine. For there's not a single drop of mineral oil in Vitalis. So try Vitalis and the 60-second workout. You'll like it. And you'll like what it does for the looks of your hair. Hello, Duffy's Tavern. Where do you like to eat meat to eat? Archie the Manchester. <laughs> right away. <laughs> Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. <clears throat> Look, I just got quite a compliment. Yeah, the uh, glass eater from the circus uh, was in. He says our blue plate special lunch was delicious. <laughs> yeah, he left the luncheon at the plate. <laughs> well, Duffy, in his business, you know, he can't take chances with his stomach. <clears throat> Another thing, the inspector from uh, Weights and Measures was in, you know, and complained about the size of our whiskey jiggers. Yeah, he says they were too small, so <laughs> I tricked him. I gave him a drink of our bar rye and... Then he complained the jiggers was too big. <laughs> well, look, Duffy, I'm going down to the bank to may- make a deposit. Well, yeah, nothing like having a little dough put aside. I, you know, I quit smoking, stopped going to movies, and quit buying fancy clothes, been keeping away from dames. Yeah, for the first time, I'm really enjoying life. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, can I have an hour off to go to the bank? I can't. Now, look, Duffy... You know, tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day, and uh, I've been meaning to ask you, uh, did St. Patrick chase you out of Ireland? Ah, <laughs> huh? go soak your head. Miss Archie, did I hear you say you was taking an hour off? Why not? It's my turn. How you figure? You had an hour off last year. <laughs> Besides, it's uh, rather urgent, you know. I have an important appointment with my bank. I'm uh, making a deposit. How much? Ten bucks. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, ten bucks ain't hay. Mm. Nowadays, it ain't even money. <laughs> All right. Which, 
Which bank are you going to? Well, that's my big problem, uh, finding a bank that I can trust. Mm. That's a switch. Up till now, your big problem was finding a bank that would trust you. Uh, how come you're getting so thrifty all of a sudden? Well, I think a guy should look out for his future, you know? You never can tell when disaster is liable to strike. Mm, like what? Oh, sickness, accident, marriage. <laughs> now, take you, uh... How much do you make a week? Including tips? Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And out of that, how much do you save? Practically nothing. But I'm going to be different. No more throwing dough away, like on dames. You know, look what it cost me to go out last Saturday night. You mean with dollar snapping? Yeah. Joe's diner wasn't good enough for it. She has to go to one of them high-class places where they're dining and dancing. Mm. Cost you plenty, huh? You know how them jukeboxes eat up nickels. <laughs> Another thing I'm going to cut down on is me rent. Why do I need a six-room apartment? How much did it cost you? Twenty. Nine bucks a month. <laughs> that much? Well, I rented it when the apartments were scarce and I got stuck with a lease. <laughs> Now, Chip, from now on, I'm going to be known as Thrifty Archie. I'm going to put a little something aside, you know? Eddie, we can all take a lesson from the squirrels, you know? All year round, they're busy storing up nuts. Uh, oh. Hello, Finnegan. Uh, hi, thanks, Archie. Finnegan, you see before you a new Archie. Oh. Did you get a good trade-in on the old one? Kenny, and what I mean is I'm trying to figure out how to cut down the cost of living. Well, that's simple. Oh, yeah? How do I do it? Drop dead. <laughs> I'm afraid your method is a little too roundabout. <clears throat> well, there's two sides to that question. What do you mean? I'm a little off-center. <laughs> you stay in there, too, don't you? Yes, you might have gotten too. a laugh if I'd read the right line there, too. <laughs> That I know. Want to try it again? Yeah, well, there's two sides to that question. Where do you stand? <laughs> uh, I am a little off-center. That I know. <laughs> but uh, take your case, for instance, yeah. Finnegan. Uh, do you manage to save any money? Oh, certainly. For instance, every time we weigh ourselves, me and me kid brother save a penny. How? We both get on the scale at the same time. You both can. Then how can you tell what each one weighs? Simple. We divide by two. And that don't make no sense. One of you has to weigh more than the other. What's the difference, Archie? It's all in the family. He's a little off-center. <laughs> Look, uh, after you save these pennies, what do you do with them? Oh, I go to Coney Island and have a good time. Yeah, and you never think of saving anything for a rainy day, though, huh? Who wants to go to Coney Island on a rainy day? Finnegan, <laughs> I'm beginning to conclude that you don't know nothing about economics. Well, I could have told you that. <laughs> well, uh, would you like me to explain the economic system to you? Is there any way I can get out of it? No. Then please do. Okay. We'll start with money. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, take the dollar, or as it is known today, the half dollar. 
Now, if you put it in a bank, they pay you 1% interest. But how can they make money that way? Well, they lend it back, the end charge you 6%. <laughs> See? That is, of course, unless you're very poor. If you're poor, the bank don't charge you the 6%. How come? They don't lend you the money in the first place. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Uh, uh, I think so, except for one minor point. What's that? What's the economic system? <laughs> I think I'm wasting my time. Look, oh, Eddie, God. keep an eye on the joint while I get down to the bank, will you? Hey, can I go on with you? What do you want to go to the bank for? I'd just like to stand there and drool. <laughs> The Third Avenue Bank and Trust Company. Yeah. Look what it say on the window. Assets, $36 million. Little did I know that in a few minutes they'll have to add 10 bucks to that sign. I <laughs> know. Uh, Leave us find the president's office. That is right there. See that? See that? J.B. McIntosh, president. J.B. McIntosh. Think I should uh, just call him J.B.? Why not? He'll probably call you by your initials. You know how it is with them presents. <laughs> yeah. well, anyway, leave us go in. <clears throat> uh, Mr. McIntosh? Uh, yes? Uh, sir, uh, I am a potential depositor. Uh, do you mind if I ask a few questions? Not at all. Well, uh, nothing personal, but, uh, can you prove to me that your brank ain't crooked? I, uh, beg your pardon? Come, come, McIntosh, you know what I'm driving at. Do you maintain a fiduciary balance, uh, to offset diminishing debentures on the fiscal? I, I don't understand. Uh, what he want to know is, if he put it in, do he get it out? <laughs> Thank you, Eddie. What's your answer to that one, McIntosh? Young man, you can take your money out at any time unless you put it in our Christmas club. Oh, what happens then? Then the money can't be taken out till next December. Can't, huh? I suppose there are redundant circumstances. <laughs> Sorry, but we're very strict. You see, some of our depositors are weak and spineless and haven't enough character to resist temptation. Miss Archie, give the man the money. <laughs> Uh, what amount did you plan to deposit, young man? Well, I was uh, planning something in the general neighborhood of ten bucks. <laughs> ten bucks? Yes. Oh, goody! Now we can build that annex. <laughs> well, Finnegan, we're back from the bank. Uh, and... Don't bother me, Archie. I'm busy taking care of a customer. Oh, a customer? Good. What's he buying? Nothing. He's selling me a watch. <laughs> Oh, let me see that. Hey, let me look at that watch. Hey, pretty good. What do you want for it, stranger? Ten bucks. You got a deal. Uh, will you trust me till Christmas? <laughs> hey, what's your offer, bud? Me? Uh, uh, two bucks. Cash. Brother, you bought yourself a watch. <laughs> so long, fellas. Finnegan, how can you be such a jerk letting that guy sell you such a crummy watch? I'll bet it don't even run. Well, if it don't, the lap's on him. How come? I can't tell time. <laughs> Some people just never learn. Hello, Arch. Oh, hello, Joe. Hey, nice watch you got there, Finnegan. 
Would you like to sell it? Oh, good. Maybe. Well, how much? Well, I want five, but I'll take ten. <laughs> you, you want five, but you'll take ten, huh? What do you say we split the difference? Okay, it's your deal. Three bucks. Hey, hey, that's pretty good, huh? I paid two and I get three. Yeah, Joe, what are you going to do with the watch? Uh, give it to my girl. A cheap watch like that? Arch, it's not the watch, it's the sentiment. Besides, a watch like that on my girl's wrist will get everyone to notice her hand. You can say that again. Well, naturally, Arch. <laughs> After all, she has lovely hands. Truché, you know. I know. <laughs> and there's nothing like Truché to care for hands Because Truché is the before hand lotion Something really different in hand lotion You can use it before you get to work Before you do dishes Before you put your hands in water And Truché is so effective That it will guard your hands Even in that hot soapy water But you can also use Truché As you use ordinary hand lotions Anytime your hands need a creamy softening lotion So get Truché and get an all-around hand lotion that gives you beforehand protection. Something no ordinary lotion gives you. Get Truché, the beforehand lotion, and get softer, lovelier hands. Uh, hey, Art. Yeah? If you buy a watch for two bucks and you sell it for three bucks, uh, how much do you make? Uh, 50%. Mm. How much do they pay you in the bank? One percent. Gee, Arch, I wish I had your brains. <laughs> Don't be sarcastic. At least in the bank, I know the money is safe. That is, I think it is. Uh, Eddie. Uh, yeah? I'm just thinking, when we was down to the bank, did you notice that cashier? What about it? You notice he always kept his hat on? <laughs> And that president, uh, that Macintosh, I wonder. Give me that phone. Hello? Uh, Third Avenue Bank and Trust Company? Look, would you kindly peek into Mr. Macintosh's office and see if he's still there? <laughs> he is? Okay, thank you. Uh, well, that's that. Hey, Mr. Archie, ain't that Max the Bookie over there? Max the Bookie? Uh, guy from the racetrack? Oh, yeah, yeah. I wonder if he's heard I got money. Arch. Sweet Sue in the third race. He heard. <laughs> uh, look, Max, I quit betting the horses. I don't want no more of them phony tips. Phony? You heard me. That last horse you give me. When a race starts, he has to run in the wrong direction. Then when he gets halfway around the track, he faints. <laughs> well, it was the shock, Arch. It was the first time he'd ever seen other horses face to face. <laughs> Yeah, well, what about that other short thing? The one where you told me the jockey was your own brother. The horse was full of Benzedrine. The judges was all fixed. How come I lost on that one? Well, Arch, can I help it if somebody pulls something crooked? <laughs> Look, Max, you're wasting your time. I'm through betting on horses. I got me money safely tucked away in the bank. You put it in the bank? Yeah. What odds did they give you? <laughs> They didn't give me no odds. You mean they only give you even money? What is the world coming to? Look, Max, get out of here, will you? You're wasting oh. your time. Okay. Uh, maybe some of your pals would like to make a few bucks, huh? Uh, how about you, bud? Not me. Last horse I bet on, he came in so late at night, he had to tiptoe into the stable. <laughs> well, 
Okay, gents. Just remember what I told you. Sweet Sue in the third. Are you kidding? Sweet Sue. He couldn't run his way out of a paper bag. Well, then uh, what about Blue Boy in the fourth? Blue Boy, strictly a nag. Okay. Uh, how about this one in the sixth? A horse called Money in the Bank. Max, I'm not gonna... <laughs> Money in the Bank. Uh, it might be a hunch. Yeah, Max, uh, are you sure this is a good tip? Well, I figured it out according to my system. What system? Well, don't you remember? Who gave you Valdina Marl in the Gold Cup? You did. And who gave you Speed King in the Preakness? You did. Who gave you Lady Luck in the Kentucky Derby? You did, but so what? All them horses lost. <laughs> well, Arch, no system is perfect. <laughs> hey, look, uh, this horse, this money in the bank. Yeah? Uh, what's the yard done? Four to one. And, brother, you can put your shirt right on his nose. Won't that interfere with his breathing? <laughs> Wait a minute, Max. Huh? You're a bookie. If this horse is such a hot tip, how come you're willing to bet against yourself? I'm the friendly type. <laughs> you see, you guys are all pals of mine. I'd like to make you happy. Well, that's good enough for me. I'll bet three bucks on him. Okay, you want to bet him to win? What do you think, to lose? Finnegan, <laughs> you're making a big mistake, I'm telling you. Oh, Yeah. Like I did with the watch, eh? Okay. Play, Gypsy. Dance while you may. Turn the radio on, Eddie, and uh, leave us see what happens. Okay. Wait a minute. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And now the horses are rounding the first turn. It's Skyrocket out in front, followed by Sea Breeze, Lady Pilot, and Money in the Bank. Uh, come on, Money in the Bank! As J.P. Barnum says, there's one born every minute. <laughs> now they're in the straightaway. It's Skyrocket, Sea Breeze, and Money in the Bank, moving up into third position. To quote Benjamin Franklin, uh, a penny saved is a penny earned. <laughs> Come on, Money in the Bank! And now it's neck and neck, Skyrocket and Money in the Bank. Benjamin Franklin felt that a modest return on a modest investment was always necessary. <laughs> And here comes Money in the Bank. It's Money in the Bank by one length. Benjamin Franklin. <clears throat> and now it's Money in the Bank by two lengths. Lot of boy, Money in the Bank. Uh, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, and Money in the Bank is the winner. Oh boy, the winner. Yeah, and four to one. <laughs> Did you hear that, Miss Arthur? That's stinking Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> Look, I, I think I'll call up my mother and tell her the good news. You're going to spend a nickel to call your mother? Oh, I made 12 bucks. See? Easy come, easy go. <laughs> These horse players is all alike. Go ahead, throw away your nickel. Hmm. No answer. Well, someday you'll listen to your old Uncle Archie. Yeah. I guess you'd better hang up. <laughs> oh, hey, look! Look, a hat full of nickels! Oh, boy! What was you saying, old Uncle Archie? <laughs> okay, scoff me, but I still say me money's gonna stay in the bank. Archie, bonsoir, mon chéri. Well, Rennie, I ain't seen you in a long time. 
Did you miss me, Archie? Yeah, now that I see you, I realize how much of you I've missed. <laughs> you lost a little weight, didn't you? Yes, I've been taking reducing pills. Reducing pills, huh? Wonderful how them little pills know just what to leave alone. <laughs> Renee, uh, ain't this kind of a surprise visit, though? Uh... Well, I was thinking about you, and I felt a little lonesome. Oh, I thought maybe you heard I got money in the bank. <laughs> you have money in the bank? Yes, in a Christmas fund. Oh. Yes, you see, a friend of mine, uh, Mr. McIntosh, the president of the bank, uh, Mr. McIntosh says I gotta keep it there. You uh... mean you can't take the money out till Christmas? Uh, well, Mr. McIntosh says Archie, that... why wait till December when it could be Christmas tonight? <laughs> Renny, you mean... Yes, we could dance together. And you could hold me real close in your arms. But, uh, Mr. McIntosh says the <laughs> bank has a rule. That then they... later on in the evening... We could go someplace where we could be all alone. Just the two of us. Hello, Macintosh. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Look, uh, Macintosh, uh, this is Archie. I got me my... Hello? Hmm... I think I'd better go down there in person. Uh, Rennie, please, uh, wait here, though, in the meantime, will you? And, 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 and don't lose the mood. <laughs> but, Mr. Archie, uh, would Benjamin Franklin approve of you spending your money this way? Eddie, Benjamin Franklin was a much older man than I am. <laughs> Archie, the answer is no. But, Mr. McIntosh, you're a banker. You got a heart, ain't you? Who, me? <laughs> Look, Mr. McIntosh, <clears throat> I'd like you to meet me, brother. Uh, hello. Uh, this is your brother? Well, things are tough all over. <clears throat> That's why I need the money, sir. You see, me brother here has to have a uh, delicate brain operation. A uh, brain operation? Yes, they've got to remove it. <laughs> Yeah, the doctor says it's cluttering up his thoughts. <laughs> and, and it ain't only the operation, uh, Mr. McIntosh. He's got other troubles. His wife just come back from Chicago with a little bundle in her arms. The uh, poor dame's got to do her own laundry. <laughs> you had enough, McIntosh? <laughs> Archie, the answer is no. Mr. McIntosh, take another look at me, brother here. How would you like me to go around telling people he's a director of this bank? Uh, yeah. Gentlemen, I know when I'm licked. Here's the ten dollars. Well, Rennie, looks like we're all set. You have the money? Yep. Now, uh, where do we start tonight? Uh, you name it, honey. Nah, you name it. Nah, you name it. The stock club. Okay, I'll name it. <laughs> Look, why don't we just go to Joe's Diner? Joe's Diner? 
But actually, it's so cold there. I think I'd be much warmer at the stork club. Excuse me a minute. Eddie, the dame wants to go to the stork club. So what? I only got ten bucks. I got to get some more money. Arch, stumble bum in the seventh. Max, are you still here? Uh, just a minute, Ronnie. <clears throat> Max, this stumble bum, is it a good horse? Arch, I would bet him if he was running against my own mother. <laughs> yeah? Okay, here's the ten bucks. Put it on his nose. Eddie, look in the racing form and uh, see what it says about the seventh race. Seventh race, huh? Let me see. <clears throat> say, say, fly away should win easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, paper boy will be right there at the finish. Mm-hmm. Buzz bomb the one to beat. Mm-hmm. Red Basket has won four in a row. Stumble mm-hmm. bum. Yes. Very fond of apples. <laughs> Is that all? <clears throat> no, stay here. In his last race, Stumble bum finished in the money. Uh, finished in the money, huh? Yeah, he jumped the rail and crashed into the two-dollar window. <laughs> uh, just a minute, Ronnie. I got a horse running in the next race. I got to listen to it on the radio. Huh? Yes, folks, it's the seventh race and the horses are at the starting gate. All except Stumblebump. He's having a hard time getting there. The walk from the paddock seems to have tired him out. <laughs> Max, I think I should have bet on your mother. Well, now the horses are all lined up. Stumblebum is leaning against the starting gate. He's leaning? Well, he's saving his energy. Oh. There's quite a crowd out here at the track today, and... Wait a minute. What's that? There must be a storm coming up. Sounds like thunder. No. No, I'm wrong. It's just Stumblebum snoring. <laughs> Stumblebum seems to be having a little trouble with his legs. He's down on one knee. Max. Uh, uh, well, you see, he's just going into a crouch for a good start. Oh. Well, we're all ready to go, folks. And they're off. It's Fly Away, Paperboy, Buzz Bong, Bread Basket, and Stumblebum is coming up fast. You hear that? He's coming up fast. Yes, sir. Stumblebum gets up off his knees and breaks into a fast dog. He's a slow starter. Oh. And now at the quarter pole, it's Flyaway, Paperboy, Buzzbomb, and Breadbasket. And Stumblebum is bringing up the rear. I had to bet him on his nose. <laughs> Stumblebum, get going, will you? Coming into the far turn, it's still Flyaway, Paperboy, Buzzbomb, and Breadbasket. Stumblebum, where are you? He probably stopped to ask directions. <laughs> And now, as they cross the finish line, it's Fly Away, and then Paperboy, and Buzz Bomb, and Breadbasket. What a race this was, folks. A lovely day and a record attendance. And for you folks who are leaving the track and driving home, the officials ask you to please drive carefully. And Stumblebum! <laughs> and now, a word about tomorrow's races. Yeah? What about our dinner date? Well, Rennie, as I told you, you know, I was going to take you to the stork club and have champagne and caviar and uh, crepe Suzettes and quail. And stumble bump. Eddie, please. But unfortunately, <clears throat> I'm broke. So how about a little dinner here at the tavern, huh? Archie, I just remembered. I have another appointment. Wait a minute, honey. I, I, just a minute. I'll, I'll get the dough. Finnegan, look. 
You, you still got the 12 bucks you won? Yeah. You still got the hat full of nickels? For sure. Well, let me have it, quick. Well, what do you need it for? You got money in the bank. <laughs> oh, Monsieur Finnegan. Yeah? How would you like to take me to the stock club? Can we get by on 12 bucks? I think so. Good night, Archie. Uh, sleep time. <laughs> that Finnegan, what a joke. You see, Eddie? That's the way it is with them horse players. Once a sucker, always a sucker. <laughs> Duffy's Tavern for this evening, but let's meet here again at the same time next Wednesday. Duffy's Tavern is brought to you by Vitalis for well-groomed hair and Truche, the hand lotion with the beforehand extra. Each Wednesday, Bristol-Myers brings you Duffy's Tavern and Mr. District Attorney, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Shawnwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.